0: hurriedness is really dang expensive. It's not just expensive in, in the obvious things that we can see. It's expensive in the ways that we don't think about, which again is if I'm a hurried leader or if I'm a hurried manager, if I'm a hurried employee, I'm probably not communicating very well. And now things aren't getting shared that should be shared. If I'm a busy, hurried, rushed leader, I probably cut corners when it comes time to performance reviews, whatever the format and frequency is around that probably cut corners around hiring. So maybe I don't do the due diligence and check referrals or references rather. I I maybe don't ask some of the right questions. Maybe I cut some corners because we gotta get somebody in here right away and I don't have uh, the candidate meet other people. So suddenly we don't gain that extra perspective, but we really gotta get somebody in here to do this work. That has a compound effect too, That, that ripples out. And those are things that are going to affect you for months, if not years, down the road. Those are costs that don't really show up on a balance sheet as a result of decisions. They might show up and we might try to associate them in other ways. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to the Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies.
1: Welcome to today's episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Today my guest is James Mayhew. James and I met, gosh, a couple of years ago. It's
0: been that long, yeah.
1: And um, we really connected over a mutual client when we discovered that we were doing a lot of the same type of fact-finding with that particular client, but we were using it in very different ways. That's true, yeah. And so James is a consultant who focuses on values and busyness and helping define corporate cultures very much and that really overlaps with what i do from a brand building perspective so today i just want to have a conversation with with james i almost said jim because that's what i call him most of the time feel free (laughs) about that about how does brand and culture really converge and how can the leader of an organization find that balance and and create a culture that supports the brand that they really want their organization to have and what are some of the hangups that kind of get in their way in doing that so that's kind of a summary of what we'll talk about a little bit now i'm going to turn it over to james to uh, tell us a little bit about himself and what he does
0: yeah so there's uh there's really three areas that that i concentrate my efforts on so coaching consulting and training and the the three tend to overlap quite a bit, um, but I'm entering into what would be the the fourth year of me doing this as a self employed person, and I tend to work primarily Amy with smaller businesses, so it might be down to you know a few employees all the way up to in general about 150 employees. After that, we move into a little bit bigger of a corporate structure, and that's not a, a wheelhouse area for me. So I like I really love the the small business aspect and where people have opportunities to really make a difference and to really stand out and to pursue what they're interested in and kind of just really be able to align their ambition and goals to what the organization's ambition and goals are.
1: Sure. So Jim, let's talk about what are some of those things that kind of get in the way of culture being what we envision it to be? I mean, we all have a vision when we start a business, what we want our organization to be known for and how we wanna treat the people that we serve, whether that's our employees or our clients, our customers, whichever you refer to them as. But if that culture is not in the right place, that can inhibit the brand from growing in a way that, that we desire it to go. Very true. So from your experience, what are some of the things that leadership allows to get in their way yeah. uh, to, so, <laughs> to make culture not be what they want it to be.
0: Those of you obviously can't see my face, but I just started to cringe a little bit right there because I think a lot of times, the, one of the biggest barriers that, that we have is recognition that those things are important However, we don't prioritize them the same as that you would prioritize a product launch or some type of campaign or just other strategies. And so really, it's about bringing culture to the table as a strategy that is completely integrated with all strategies. In other words, I'm not going to stand on the soapbox and say culture eats strategy for lunch or anything like that because I I don't really believe that. I believe it is the fuel that makes everything happen. And I think one of the things that gets in the way frequently, and we'll talk about this at length today if you want, but it's, it's the attitude of urgency and hurriedness. So we just kind of lump it into busyness. That can really be one of the reasons I think there could be great intentions about pursuing culture and, and all the facets around that. But the minutiae, the urgency, and, and just the workload tends to get in the way. And it's one of those things where it's easy to push it back. And then we don't pay attention to it. The one thing that I always advise clients on uh, is this, you have a culture, whether you're paying attention to it or not, culture exists. And you know, when you're not paying attention to it, then it becomes an accidental culture and you have accidental values that emerge out of that. And that can be a barrier. Uh,
1: Right. You know, as we've talked about before, when you allow that, culture to just kind of form I don't like to say the word organically but that is what it's doing it's kind of organically forming around without your knowledge or your direction and in how you want it to go then you're also starting to really compromise the quality of your brand as well Mm -hmm. And because then, as that happens internally, it's going to start flowing externally, and the people that you don't necessarily want to know that you're having mm-hmm. internal strife is—they're going to start picking up on it, and and it's going to become problematic to your brand, and then eventually to your bottom line.
0: Well, it just takes me back to you and I really kind of clicking when we first met a couple of years ago, and we were sharing stories, and your approach and my approach weren't all that different. It was just the, the usages of it were, were different. And so the reason that you and I clicked and, and had this, I don't know how you want to describe it, but just like this synergy, mm-hmm. is you don't want to help a client put out false claims. So on the external side, if we say we're awesome in all these areas, but the experience that the customer has isn't awesome, that's an issue. Right. And so where you focus on, say, all the things that relate to the brand, especially from that messaging standpoint, I really tend to focus on those from the internal. And then you and I both play in both these areas. So that's why it's really fun to work with you and talk shop because you get it and not all people that do what you do either care or can get it. And I think that's what has set you apart. So like, I get really focused on creating a great employee experience by culture and leadership and, and letting culture be an innovative area that's that to me is the the competitive edge
1: right well and when when you do have that really great internal culture then the employees are happy they're providing a good service and a good experience to the people that they're serving because ultimately someone is a front line and having direct communication with a client mm-hmm. or a customer and if they're answering the phone with a smile you can tell, but sure. if they're answering the phone with, oh, hi, this is so-and-so, what can I do for you today? Guess what? They're not going to be so interested in coming back to you because they're going to hear that. And then that's a reflection on your brand and that's how your culture is reflecting Absolutely. and influencing the direction that your brand is going. Yes, And yeah, I think that they need to work hand in hand. They need to complement each other. Mm-hmm. And if they start to not complement each other, eventually it's both of them are going to get pulled down. Definitely.
0: Well, and, and, um, you, you and I have sort of the conversation of chicken and egg at times around, you know, and and it's been fun because I think it's helped me see things differently. And I hope that it's helped you see some things differently when, you know, I might be an advocate that it all starts with culture and, and you might be the advocate that it's going to start with brand Actually, to me, it doesn't matter. I'm perfectly happy to concede that it could be brand that leads it, but equally important to each other.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think, I don't know that it's possible to say where it starts, because if it if it's a company that's starting from one person and growing outward, chances yeah. are their brand and culture are being developed at the exact same time and probably are not even being viewed as two separate things at the time that that, that solo founder is envisioning what their brand or what their business is going to look like and how their brand is going to come together. And their brand is, you know, they're both kind of working in tandem with each other because it's starting from infancy.
0: And and that's a great reminder. And that's what you and I get charged about with startups. You know, when we get a chance to work with startups, because you get a chance to see how, you know, where the passion is and those two things you're you said it perfectly amy it's they're they are locked tight they're they're inseparable at that point
1: right so a new project that you're starting to do maybe maybe not so much new per se but maybe new from the standpoint of that you're putting it out into the world a little differently than what you have in the past is is around the idea of being too busy mm-hmm. and you know i'm fascinated in that about that in this in the sense of everything that we've talked about leading up to how does culture how is culture cultivated in the workplace well if you have somebody who is too busy you're going to cultivate a busy culture and is that really the the best culture for you to have you know what impact does that have on you as a leader on your employees in terms of their satisfaction and doing their job we are in a society that accepts 24-7 availability. and Accepts it or demands it? Both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. And that we are set up for immediate gratification. I mean, come on, we can buy an easy button or whatever they're called from Amazon and just set, push the button when my laundry detergent is gone exactly. and it will show up on my doorstep the next day. We start to expect everything to be that way. And then we're also then very much focused on the short-term gains that we can make as opposed to realizing when we're truly in a long game and i think when you put those things into play and then i I put that on top of the idea that that starts to be a root cause for for burnout i think talking busyness fits very well with recent discussions that i've been having on my show because i think busyness is probably at the core Mm. of those three things you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you, if you dig back and how did we get to the point of feeling like we needed to be on, on 24 seven, it's, it, it's given us that sense of busyness.
0: You, you know, there's so many thoughts going through my head right now, just because I have a busy mind and maybe that's a, a jump on place to just to say, I am working on a project called the unbusy leader and it's a workshop and I'll be launching a podcast soon as well. Focusing on this area where from a leadership perspective, when we get so busy with doing things that aren't necessarily priorities and we haven't uh, groomed leaders well, we haven't delegated ownership, we've delegated maybe tasks, all of those things get to f- start to fit into it. But I, would, I do like to make a distinction is that there's two kinds of busyness in my in my opinion mm-hmm. and they the, the line is blurry between them. There's the kind of busyness that when I get up in the morning, I'm excited and I have... A bunch of things lined up and I can't wait to tackle it. And I can go through a day with being very busy. And that's what I'm saying is that's a good kind of busyness. I think people that are listening to your podcast right now, you probably are attracting them that high achievers, high performers, people are looking at constantly improving. The bad busyness is the kind that leaves us feeling overwhelmed and frustrated, stressed out, and you can get into some really deep spirals with that and so i always want to make a distinction there what we are talking about uh, because when we say becoming or when i say becoming an unbusy leader i'm not saying sit back with your feet up on your desk i'm talking about all the elements of being a great leader which is grooming other great leaders that's that's to me is the key And so busyness is something of an excuse that has cropped up into our life. We use it for, I mean, we're competitive around it. Think about this. When people show up around the water cooler on a Monday morning, we tell war stories about how busy our weekends were, like it's a badge of honor. And so it's not something that's exclusive to the business world. It's in our personal lives. And it's just our society, as you kind of said a few minutes ago, is is really focused on that. My goal then is to help unleash productivity and I've been saying cut the bloat that is a result of busyness inside of a workplace and just watch what happens. Right. It is a culture thing. And one more thing is that you you said it follows the way of the the leader. And so if you have a leader, I can tell you a quick story on this. A very close friend of mine, I'm gonna protect who the, the identity of it is, but said one day he asked his team Can you tell when I'm stressed? And their response was, absolutely. He said, okay, what does that mean? It's because everything you do is hurried. And that hit him like a ton of bricks because he saw the fallout that he was causing. Because there was a ripple effect that extended from his hurriedness to his team and they just naturally fell into it and it's not a good place.
1: No. And I would imagine, I mean, I don't know who it is obviously, so I don't know what kind of business it is, but if hurried is what is expected from them 5 days a week, hmm. how are they ever going to do a good job with whatever it is that they're producing? You know, I know when I'm hurried, I miss key details and I don't think things through in the same way. And what's that going to do in the end is it's going to provide an inferior product or an inferior service. And if that happens repeatedly, day after day, week over week, month over month, imagine what that's doing to the company. It's a compound effect. Exactly. You know, your culture is being impacted. Your productivity is being impacted. Your output your brand Mm -hmm. is ultimately going to start it's at risk falling down and it's a huge risk huge risk to take so when you work with a client and help them identify the good busy versus the bad busy that they have within their within their daily lives how do you help them identify that What, what do you look for with them.
0: Yeah. So it's a lot of listening, you know, that, that it's the, uh, it's the coaching mindset. So it's, it's not coming in with trying come coming with any preconceived notions around it. So, but it's pretty easy to identify when somebody says, I feel overwhelmed. I have too many things going on. I'm struggling with keeping up with my sales appointments and then doing the work I'm working at, um, you know, 10 o'clock at night to maybe do invoicing or book work, whatever it might be one of the first things that that tends to happen in those instances is that leader or that small business owner in particular is not spending time with the employees so that rushed atmosphere just extends outward when
1: they're rushed they're not giving quality time to their employees so if somebody's coming to them saying James I'm I'm really struggling with this yeah. With this aspect of my work and I need, you're my, you're my boss, you're my leader, my manager. I need help figuring out how to do this. If you as the leader are too stressed and too busy and too sporadic in terms of the focus that you have, you know, if your ideas are ping ponging all over the wall, whatever, how are you going to be in a position to be able to help them?
0: Yeah. And, and you're not. And so it, it, those, again, as I'm listening for those cues, you can hear it from them. And so one of the things that that I do from a practical standpoint is I help them just identify what's priorities and commitments. There's a huge difference between those two things. So that's an exercise that I I help them do. So uh, just for our listeners sake, for your sake, what I'm talking about there is a priority is, is something that we would put on the calendar or put on, on our to-do list that must be done. And maybe that's a sales appointment Maybe that is a performance review. It could be more personal in nature. It could be that I'm going to leave work at 4.30 so that I can have dinner with my family. That's a priority. When I, What I do is I ask them to list out all of the things that, that's going on. It's a big list. And then we talk about it from a commitment standpoint because a commitment are things that we obligate ourselves to or sometimes we confuse them as a priority and they're really not. That's a great place to start is identifying what's a priority, what's a commitment, and then figuring out how could you delegate not just the task again, but some ownership around one of those things. In office settings, when you talk about bloat in a business, think about meetings, emails, Mm -hmm. like those are two sources of enormous time suck and meetings a lot of times don't have agendas, don't have a clear purpose. Sometimes we meet to have about the meeting. I mean, that's a real thing and it's and I've been there.
1: Oh yeah, me too. Um,
0: recurring meetings that show up on calendars um, every Wednesday, nine o'clock, we're gonna have a leadership team meeting. People show up five minutes ahead of time, try to figure out what they're gonna say to cover their rear end because they know they're supposed to, they're pointless meetings. So if we can figure out ways to reduce bloat and we look at it from a priority and commitment standpoint, that's a great place to start. So again, you're listening for those cues. What is the owner saying? What's the leader saying? Also, if I'm working, if I've been hired to come in, I'm also listening to what the employees are saying because they have a different perspective
1: mm-hmm. and they
0: might be saying exactly what your 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 scenario was is I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do, but if the leader isn't available, if they're not available if they are not flat out accessible first of all that's a, that's a part of being available but then being available also just means how present are they when they do have that one-on-one are they distracted are they over you know are right. they overwhelmed are they, with are other they things? sitting
1: there with their phone and oh yeah i'm listening right but really they're paying attention to what's happening on their computer or on their on and, their device and as whatever. an
0: employee what are the odds what's the chances that you're going to go meet with that person again oh pretty slim soon? yeah Pretty slim. You just stop telling them information. So here the thing is, a busy leader is missing out on vital information. An unbusy leader shouldn't be. They should be making space. They would be creating, whether you want to call it white space or margin time, to look for those things.
1: Right. They could end up being blindsided because maybe the thing that that person was coming in to talk to them about may or may not result in something pretty significant happening in their business. And right. if it... Goes the way they don't want it to go, but they didn't listen to the person who is trying to get their attention. That could be devastating for a business.
0: It, it can.
1: I mean, worst case scenario would yeah. be that. But but it could also mean that, you know, maybe your best employee is trying to get your attention to say, I'm not happy and something's going on. How, how, can I, how can I change this or what can we do to change this? And you don't realize it until they walk out the door for the last time.
0: It springs up a story from my past, actually. And uh, I was working retail. I really enjoyed who I worked for. I enjoyed the boss very much. He had this habit. So we didn't see each other over the weekends. I worked on Saturdays. Neither of us worked on Sundays. So then we would come in on Mondays and we had a good respect for each other. I I, I did him well and, and he took care of me. It, it was so funny is that uh, I remember him distinctly one morning sitting in his office and he'd always call me by some sort of nickname. So hey jimmer or something like mm-hmm. that and how was the weekend and and he genuinely i think wanted to know but as soon as i began to speak now this is back quite a few years ago so he had a rolodex with business cards in it and he would start flipping through there and he picked up his phone and he would start dialing as i'm just getting the like the first few words out and why
1: even bother asking
0: well that's it and so so i didn't really get upset but i was annoyed and so i just stopped and he, he heard silence and he looked up and he said, and before I ever had really told him anything looks up at me and says, sounds like you had a great weekend. (laughs) So guess what? Anytime he ever asked, it was a one word answer. Very good weekend. Yep. Yep. Something like that. So it's one of those things where in that setting, I actually respected him less because of
1: that. Exactly. He
0: had problems with listening well.
1: Yeah. Don't ask the question if you don't want to hear the answer.
0: Yeah. And, and it was, I think it was a a symptom of being too busy, but I also think it was just maybe just not being real cognizant of like emotional intelligence, right? Social cues, things like that.
1: Exactly. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about how the values of an organization can Hmm. play into a busyness factor. To me, there's, there's going to be some connection between the values that an organization holds to be very important to them. They are on the wall, but they truly live them. What happens when busyness creeps into those? When, when business, busyness becomes a, an overriding factor in an organization, and how are their values impacted by that?
0: You know, that's an interesting way to frame it, and I don't know that I thought of it that way before. So here, here's my response in that setting, it, it would be if, if, again, if I'm hired in as a consultant or coach in that setting, I'm going to put my coach hat at, on, actually, and and ask them to look at their values and say, where in here does it say that we're supposed to be constantly hurried, constantly rushed, feeling behind? Where, where? What values are we violating? Because nobody is going to, you know, define a value that says we have to be fast. Now there are times where that could be really important. I suppose in medicine, what I mentioned, said like an emergency kind of walk-in clinic thing. Sure. Urgency and response time matters. Obviously, I've I've done some work with the fire department
1: mm-hmm. and within boundaries, obviously. Yeah, you it know, makes sense. Of what that per, what what an accepted time frame is for a wait or. You know in the case of a fire you know right. you have you have so much time before it right becomes a much bigger well, emergency than what it was but
0: from a values perspective there are accidental values that can emerge and if we're not careful even though we're living out values and and they're defined and everybody can see them on a daily basis that doesn't mean that there isn't some sort of mission creep around them and so suddenly things feel like we've bitten off way more than we can chew kind of thing and urgency starts to creep in it is going to press against those values and now the values themselves if they're truly strong they're truly being lived out we should have more people than just say the head person or various leaders in a healthy organization getting some pushback around that this isn't what we're about because we're cutting corners now we don't cut corners here or if it's about being on time and delivery or maybe it's around a certain level of quality whether it's from a customer experience standpoint whether it is touch points with a customer uh, from a sales perspective etc because you know and you said earlier is mistakes creep up because things get helter skelter busy hurriedness is really dang expensive it's not just expensive in In the obvious things that we can see, it's expensive in the ways that we don't think about, which again is, if I'm a hurried leader, or if I'm a hurried manager, if I'm a hurried employee, I'm probably not communicating very well. And now things aren't getting shared that should be shared. If I'm a busy, hurried, rushed leader, I probably cut corners when it comes time to performance reviews, whatever the format and frequency is around that. I probably cut corners around hiring. So maybe I don't do the due diligence and check referrals or references. Rather, I I maybe don't ask some of the right questions. Maybe I cut some corners because we got to get somebody in here right away. And I don't have uh, the candidate meet other people. So suddenly we don't gain that extra perspective, but we really got to get somebody in here to do this work that has a compound effect too. that, that ripples out. And those are things that are going to affect you for months, if not years down the road. Those are costs that don't really show up on a balance sheet as a result of decisions. They might show up and we might try to associate them in other ways. You know what I mean?
1: Yep, exactly. I think everything that you were just saying also has a really negative impact on the culture that the organization has, the brand recognition and reputation, both as an internal brand, as well as an external customer facing brand, because if, if you don't get in front of that, your employees are going to start talking about their dissatisfaction or mm-hmm. the fact that, oh, yeah, they just quickly hired somebody because they needed another warm body. Right. You know, and that's that's not going to bode well in the long term for any aspect of your business, really. Agreed. You know, I think values are something that's really important in terms of how we do our business and how we are our business. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when we do, when we bring people in to work for us, I don't know that some businesses do it really well and they, they train their values or they, they hire for their values sure. and train for the, the skill after the fact. Yep. But I think there's also a fair amount of them that maybe even aren't clear on their values and how how can that impact and i think that probably even in some regards may start to feed into some of that busyness Mm -hmm. that happens too i know one of the things that you really excel at is helping businesses define what their values are Mm -hmm. do you find that there's a lot of companies that maybe they they think they're here but they aren't necessarily living them or they haven't defined them in a way that makes sense to the organization
0: Yeah. I was invited to do a a presentation on feedback. It's one of my signature presentations. We had really great engagement, and around the table was about 14 leaders. Most of them were very successful, they were VP level and higher. The majority of them, and I think this was just by accident, were um, from financial backgrounds. Okay. Some were small business owners. And the guy, the gentleman that asked me to come in and, and speak, the presentation finished. We're, we're having this conversation around the values, but it, it more, I'm sorry, the feedback, but it morphed into values and culture. And so the gentleman asked, he went around the table, do you have your values defined? Do you have them up on a poster or, or, you know, on a plaque on the wall? Some people said yes, but most said no. And then he, he said, well, what about you guys? Have you, have you defined your values? Like, how do you know you're living them out? And the response was this, Oh, yeah, I think we pretty much live out our values. I think we all pretty well understand them. And I just kind of took a position of, I'm going to let them speak, you know, and listen, because I don't know what I don't know. But I continued to hear that. And what I said, then I, I hope it landed well. But I got some pushback from it, which was, listen, if you haven't defined them, how could you possibly expect that we're all on the same page? You just can't. And I think an easy way to illustrate that is, is, is if I have a value around communication, maybe that's, maybe we just simply say, we're going to communicate really well here. However you say it, or maybe mm-hmm. it's just the one word communication, but we don't really express what that means. I think there's all sorts of assumptions in it. Like we're going to do it proactively. We're going to be honest. We're going to be transparent. But, but that does, if we don't define it. So one of the things that I do with, with people that, that come up with values. So if they've done the discovery process. And so like, let's, let, I'll use one out of my past, which was communicate openly with confidence and respect. That was the first, my first time doing this. I was an employee of the company at the time. Great value. Everybody loved it. But what I heard over the next couple of months was managers coming back to me as I'm asking, how's it going? Like, are you talking to people about this? They said, yeah, but... I don't know how to hold them accountable to that because that's kind of what we were asking is, is this making any change? And the answer was, it's really not. And so the mistake that we made was we didn't at that point being years ago, we didn't define them. So we went back and started asking questions. How could you do this? And we asked for input from the managers to say, well, they need to be observable kind of things. Okay. So is proactive communication something that we could say is measurable, visible, observable? And the answer was, yes, I could give feedback around that. Okay. So we could make that like a bullet point underneath there. This is how we'll begin to identify, or or, I'm sorry, define them. Then that kind of sets a tone that becomes an expectation. And that's something that then we can morph that into during a, a performance review of any type, we can actually use that value as part of the feedback. We have to break it down. If we sure. don't we, we can we can say we're on the same page, we can we can think we are. You and I right now could I could say, Amy, are we on the same page with this? If we haven't truly broken it down, we both walk away thinking yes, we go and do our task, and then we look at what we've done and you're like, Well, that isn't what I expected and, and you might say that to me and I'd be like, What do you mean? This is exactly what we talked about. Well, it's not because we didn't really talk about it far enough.
1: Right. Well yeah, it's 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 digging in and understanding what's what's the core purpose behind that value? What is it that you're hoping to accomplish with it and how is it going to play out in your day to day workings? In a in one department to another, that same value might play out slightly differently. It might because of the tasks that are assigned within that individual department. Sure. You know, which would make it maybe a little trickier in a bigger organization to understand how the values play out if they are, if they are slightly different. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If if it's not defined, if you haven't put that purpose behind it and that intentionality, how are we ever supposed to know if we're doing the right thing or it, the the expected
0: thing? This is what's happening in businesses and in organizations all across the country every day. And this is why people are frustrated. It's why people look to change jobs. It's why people are disengaged. It's because there. I, I, I heard somebody say this, I've used it and I can't remember who to credit this to, but it was something to the effect of, the world demands a better brand of leadership. That really resonated with me, because I, that's that was one of the reasons, that's a bit, actually that's not one reason, that is the reason I've left every job that I had.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's totally why I've left any position that I've had. is It wasn't because I left the job, it was because I left my boss.
0: Depending on the size of the organization, you could have a great boss and then suddenly, maybe they they leave and, and somebody else comes in, but that value set is missing, and suddenly you don't connect. Uh, or it could be that your boss, and you have a wonderful relationship, but the company in general is like living in an area where it might make you question your values or their values. So when there's a misalignment between the things that are core to us, like if you feel like integrity is not always being represented or if you feel like what is being said is never being modeled, you've got that cognitive dissonance and you start to separate. And that's that's a red flag. And an astute leader will catch that and do their best to fight for that person. An average leader is going to miss that, and they're going to lose a great employee.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when you lose an employee, think about how much it costs to be able to recruit their their replacement. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: With the episode I did on burnout, one of the facts that I talked about, or actually I didn't put it in the episode, but it was in the research that I did for it, was that when a physician leaves an organization, and so now we're talking about somebody who has a high dollar value to the organization. When a physician leaves an organization, it costs them a million dollars to find their, their replacement for that physician. Wow. A million. Where that stat came from, kind of leading up to that, was there was an individual who was presenting at um, the MGMA conference in New Orleans, which that's the management group, group administrators association. That's not quite right, but he was talking about, he's involved with an MBA program and that is geared towards MDs who are looking to expand their business knowledge because a lot of physicians are getting into more business administrative type roles. He said of the twenty-five physicians that were in that program at that moment, eleven of them were in it as an exit strategy from medicine.
0: Wow, that's surprising. And but, so that shouldn't be. So that's
1: eleven million dollars. Wow. Like if that if they were all from one organization, which he didn't say that they were, but imagine if they were. Wow. That's 11 million dollars that that organization is going to have to spend at some point in time and it could uh, hopefully it wouldn't all be at one time but if those 11 physicians end their mba program and have a different gig lined up afterwards a mass exodus of 11 physicians at 11 million dollars wow that's huge
0: that makes me think about i was um i traveled over to the eastern part of the state with another gentleman his first name is mark he invited me along as his guest and and was asked to speak to an economic development alliance okay so for a county-wide thing he had built a spreadsheet basically that was real numbers fake names and it was in the manufacturing area because that's pretty much who we were speaking to that day and he was showing a welder who makes maybe 17 or 22 dollars or whatever the, the number was per hour and he turned it over twice in a year how much that business actually has to do in extra revenue to make up for it. And the number was incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, because what was so brilliant about his spreadsheet was, is it was taking into consideration all these factors that we tend to overlook. It it was far more than just the job search. It was lost productivity. Exactly. Well, and that's,
1: and that was factored into this million dollars too, because if they're gone, there's a period of time, which other faculty, other physicians in their practice are going to have to cover for that loss. So now they're seeing more patients. So they're, yeah. and then there's overtime for, and it list, just keeps uh, going.
0: And everything that you just said would create a culture of hurriedness, not just busyness, but hurriedness. Exactly. You said overtime and they're, you know, extra patient load and all those things. So now as a physician, I'm spending less time with my patient. I'm not, I don't have that bedside manner Mm -hmm. that I might normally have. I'm feeling the stress of it. Uh, I might be a little shorter in temper and I might miss something important.
1: Exactly. And you don't Uh want them to be missing something important. No.
0: no. And so, you know, a little while ago you asked, how could you have great values and how could busyness affect it? That's a really classic. Now that I think about it, a really classic example that, that that's could be happening.
1: Exactly. When people leave an organization, we often don't think about the long-term effects. Both from a what's going to end up looking like hurriedness, right. you know, of somehow we've got to backfill and figure out how we're going to how we're going to manage what they're no longer doing. But it's also how do we find that person? Because if it's if it's somebody, you know, like a welder, there's a lot in the news right now about that. We need more people to go into trades. Well, a welder is in that trade and they're probably in high demand. So that means there's not many of them out there.
0: That is true.
1: So it's not going to be as easy to just say, oh, one left. We're going to fill them in with the next person because we have a backlog of people who are wanting to do that job. You don't have a backlog of people that are wanting to do that job.
0: This makes me think about something that another way to illustrate it. So I was working with a client and they needed to fill. They they had uh, launched into light manufacturing this was a few years ago, new for them. Okay. So this was, this was a new branch to the business. They needed to fill seats because instead of saying, sticking to the plan that was going to be a year, they accelerated it once they saw the proof of concept to six months. And in fact, it was like, could we even beat that? Because now they're starting to sell it. Now the person that was tasked with hiring Really went at it with this mindset. I I just reject this every time I hear it. But it was butts and seats. We have to get butts and seats. That was the language that was being said. So well, they started to write job descriptions and job postings, and they said people with light manufacturing experience. If you have manufacturing experience, I mean that was the that was the way they were writing job descriptions. So we get people coming in, and then they found out what we were willing to pay. This was a startup. This was a commodity item, so it wasn't going to be union type of wages that they are paying. In fact, it might've been about half of what they expected. So we were causing time waste because we didn't do the research to write the job description correctly because we didn't understand what we wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. We brought candidates in that may have had technical qualifications, but they weren't character fits. In addition, they expected to be at twice as much money per hour than what we could pay. So interview after interview after interview, offers going out, nobody's going to take it. Feedback was, you know, it's, it's a pay thing. So we came back to the drawing board and we, we said, what do we need here? We don't really need manufacturing experience. We can train this. This is, this is kind of simple stuff. I don't want to reveal too much because I want to yeah. protect some, yeah, yeah. some confidentiality, no, absolutely. Here. but it was skills that you and I could learn in a day. It's trainable. It's very trainable. Mm-hmm. So then we started to rewrite it and say, what if we could attract younger people that are coming out of high school, they want some part-time work, or what if we had looked at people that maybe were in that season of life where they had retired and now they wanted to do something else? That was a great place to start. And, and we just started to rewrite the job description instead of looking for manufacturing. We started talking about entrepreneurship and we started talking about things about our culture, which were selling points at that point. And we stopped looking for butts in the seats. We slowed down. And then, you know, what we, we did is we started having candidates come in that said, wow, this place is cool. I just I would love to work here. And that's that was the shift. And so when we were hurried because we accelerated the, the deadline, poor decision on leadership part. This is always a leadership thing, by the way. Right. It always starts there. Oh, of course. And so when we when we made that shift, now we were getting great people in that wanted a career because they saw how it was a good place to work. It honestly was. It was that big shift and man, it started to work and pay off. It did create some things later on. So we did have to hire. There are times when you have to hire for expertise. Absolutely. I, and, and that matters.
1: Absolutely. But
0: not in that case.
1: And it's good that they recognize that. Think we had that.
0: to go through the pain.
1: Exactly. You had to take that, that journey to be educated mm-hmm. on this is really what we need, Yeah. and sometimes that journey can be painful. But sometimes that journey is like is so beneficial mm-hmm. when you end up looking back on it. Mm-hmm. So, I think this is a great place to to wrap up. I like that. I, th- I think that's leaving us on a really high uh, on a good note. So, thank you so much, Jim. Maybe just quickly let my my listeners know how they can find you.
0: Sure. Uh, Right now, really one of the the best places to find me is on LinkedIn. I am on there daily. I love to engage with people on LinkedIn. So it's James R. Mayhew. That's my, that's how you'll find me on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Uh, Love to connect with you there. And I will be working on the Unbusy Leader podcast. And thank you so much. You you make the conversation fun and it's exciting and and easy. So
1: thanks. Thank you, Jim.
0: This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast, presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.